0: We want to do something that matters like we want to we want to look at our family or our community or our career and and do something that that really matters and it doesn't have to outlive us and it doesn't have to be you know a building or a a plaque on the wall but to to have had this human experience that you know feels significant is an important thing
1: from the studio of rule 29 i'm your host justin aarons and this is design of a storytelling exploration featuring interviews with known and unknown extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. Today is no exception. I have the privilege of sitting down with Hugh Weber, who has gone from a small town kid, to the White House, to helping build local communities of influence. But one of the things I love most about Hugh is he's just one of those people you can't help but like. He is incredibly friendly, a natural conversationalist, a great storyteller, and he always feels interested to connect and hear your story. Let's meet Hugh. We've talked, well we've threatened about doing this episode for, I think, two years. We're definitely going on a solid two years. Yeah. Well, anyways. Much promised, much promoted. Well, because I like doing it in person. Right. Because I think when you see someone and you can kind of interact with them, I think it seems a much more authentic and there's a better experience. At least, um, I hope that's the case. Right. After talking about doing this podcast forever and kidding around with Hugh that we can't because he lives somewhere in South Dakota, I figured we'd just get right into it
0: now why south dakota (laughs) that's a great question the blessing of birth Uh, (laughs) i grew up in south dakota i went to school in philly and dc and and worked uh, for about a decade kind of in those two communities and then uh, in 2006 moved back home uh, to sioux falls
1: okay yeah now did you meet your is your wife from south dakota
0: she is so we both grew up in the northeast so it's the weird misnomers, but northeast South Dakota is where both of us are from. Uh, uh, to the extent that crazy folklore in the Weber family, my mother uh, was a judge for the like 1994 Snow Queen pageant, and she, uh, my wife, was first runner-up. But my my mom went up to her afterwards and said, "I thought it for you. Like <laughs> you were the one that should have won this." <laughs> and so we had these weird kind of uh, intersections. So hold places. on, your wife was runner-up to. What it, Lord knows who won this. No, Queen but that year. yeah, yeah, but yeah. Obviously, you don't remember. <laughs> yeah, you, no one yeah, remembers her. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Uh, and what was called the Snow Queen pageant? Snow Queen pageant. Oh. So this is like the Qantas Club or something. The Rotary did this annual kind of pageant. Hey, don't be, don't be no, dissing
1: no. The, the. Your wife came in second, dude. Come on, <laughs> it should be like the greatest pageant ever. <laughs>
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. but yeah, we we both grew up in the same area. She stayed in that area of the state. I went far away. No, t- help me, just for those who are geographically yeah. challenged, so Sioux Falls is more... Sioux Falls is in the southeast corner, so okay. it's more Iowa, and Nebraska, and where I grew up, where Amy grew up, is more uh, North Dakota, Minnesota, so it's in that intersection Got of the you, three right states. You. Okay. okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, but I, I moved back in 2006, and did a brief uh, cultural palate cleanse in Minneapolis for about 12 months because going from D.C. straight to Sioux Falls would have been a little too much culture shock. Yeah. And uh, met her uh, in, uh, she had come to know my parents and met her over Thanksgiving weekend. Well, of 2000- course,
1: your mom said that she,
0: like, voted for her. Right. That's how they became right. friends, right?
1: right? Did they know each other before that? No, no. Okay. Right.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, and hadn't known each other in the years between there, okay. but uh, we met Thanksgiving weekend of 2005, and we were married Labor Day weekend of 2006.
1: Oh, look at you, fast I love so,
0: it But uh, we You yeah, know the, the, the middle ground Was she didn't want To live in Minneapolis I wasn't ready To live in Small town South Dakota So we settled In Sioux Falls Somewhere in the middle
1: That's great I, I love your state By the way Yeah but, And you I just also, drove Through there that Well was, and no The thing too Is this is one of the I, There's many things I love about you But one of the things I loved about you Is we had just met And I'm going Through your town I told you I had Like 20 minutes Because we were On our way to Mount Rushmore That's right and you came, met us at a coffee shop, and you met my kids, all that sort of thing. That was really gracious of you. Thank you. And you gave me a little gift. I loved it. It was it was just enough time for coffee, bathrooms, and.
0: Some sarcasm. Like, you have the sarcasm, but you have the most like <laughs> gracious and grateful children. At least in that environment with strangers, like I left thinking like I hope my kids can grow up to be uh, that gracious, meeting someone along the side of the road at a bathroom break. They were just sweet. awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, thank you for that. We do that. I mean, not that we meet kids. That's not weird. <laughs> not that we meet people on the side my of the road for bathroom Kids meeting breaks. strange people yeah. in bathroom breaks. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think one of the. Benefits that I've really enjoyed about being an entrepreneur is that we, my wife and I, really try to keep the kids involved, and right. so we put them in situations that I think probably feel natural to them now. I hope, and I hope it's going to equip them with with communication life skills that will enable them maybe, um, you know, some more comfort or uh, confidence as they grow into their profession. But I want to go back to the cleanse because there's a reason for the cleanse, and that sounds creepy, but yeah. um, so you were. You're in D.C., and what were you doing in D.C.? So I I
0: talk about it as the first 20 years of my career, but really it was from age 8 to 28, literally. I I volunteered my first political campaign, a local school board race, when I was 8 years old, like working the phone banks. Nice. And now I've got a 10-year-old, and I think, like, how abusive were my parents that they (laughs) they let me do that? They weren't political, so it wasn't they were pushing Now, was it it. for their position or a friend's position? No, no, it it was a friend of the family, um... But they weren't political. They, they they didn't push it, but they permitted it, right? Like the fact that I was like, I want to make phone calls for Jack's school board race, and they were like, Sure, great idea. <laughs> like it's crazy. Um, but by the time I was a teenager, I was I was an active staff member on campaigns. I was active in you know crazy teenage uh, camps for politicos and and uh, and did that, but kind of work campaigns from the mayor's office to the oval office uh 31 states um for the better part of that 20 years um and then i had and it's it's romantic but it's also truth yeah. <laughs> like I had this kind of moment of awakening uh 2004 fourth of july I was sitting on the white house lawn with my dad and my dad is a small town electrician yeah <laughs> and uh, and he turned to me and was like Yo, I'm, and we're sitting surrounded by all my colleagues yeah, and are on the I'm south lawn sta- yeah, yeah, yeah senior staff for the re-elect um and he looks at me and he's like, I'm so proud of you. And like literally my first like emotional response was, I've got to change my life. Like I've got to change <laughs> my job. Like if he's proud of this, like think about how proud he would be of me if I was actually building community instead of helping divide
1: them. You know, like if I was doing something generative. And- yeah. 2004, so that was Bush White House? It was. Okay, it was, so yeah. um, so what kind of roles, what, what, you know, kind of want to led you to that. Yeah, and, yeah. and I know it's hard to probably summarize because um, I'm also going to, of course, ask you for some any really interesting stories about that because they're... They, well, you have all this fodder out there yeah. in the news that campaigns are crazy and, yeah. you know, just kind of wacky things happen, right. so... Well, so, so a little bit more, like, color commentary,
0: like, the kind of kid I was. I started as a teenager writing... And not in the kind of, like, send me a photo, but, like, writing in-depth letters to not only congressmen and women, but also, like... I had this correspondence for a while with Rose Kennedy, with the Kennedys' mother, and Come on. she would have them send stuff from the JFK Library. Like I was a weird kid, but I was obsessed with like the the folklore and culture of like average citizen. Like you read you read these books as like a ten year old about JFK, and they treated him like he was this like average boy that was a little sickly and would play football with his brothers and grew up to be king of the world. Um, Yet he was a family it, right? of like, a family or whatever. Of <laughs> yeah. right? But like I had this sense that the humble son of a typist at the local insurance company and an electrician, like something <laughs> extraordinary could happen in that.
1: These are the kind of things I love about Hugh. His collections of stuff.
0: I crazy side note, but I have this uh, extensive JFK collection that, like, is like memorabilia from throughout his career, like, thousands of
1: pieces of things. Hold on a second, like, <laughs> we, we could probably can't do this on the podcast, but I need to tell you, I was obsessed with JFK, yeah. so I have to tell you, even my senior one of my senior projects in painting, I, I did this whole <laughs> conspiracy, like, painting theory thing. We'll, we'll talk about that later, yeah. So. But, but, but that, that
0: was, I, I was, and I realized years, years later, like, even after leaving politics, I was never. I was never a missionary i was a mercenary right like i love the culture of campaigns i wasn't an ideologue like and so and that's not just, an example that's like, not just justification of like who i work for because my politics have um definitely don't re- re- reflect kind of the conservative conservative movement but i i loved the, the the energy and passion of people that they were very passionate about something or a candidate and they would work two jobs, two shifts at their job and then still go volunteer for a local, local candidate. Um, I was intoxicated by that. It didn't matter if the candidate, if I agreed with what the candidate believed or if I didn't. Um, it was much more, I wasn't doing it because I was advancing a cause. I was doing it because I was really good at helping people plug their passion into a bigger power. And the, the challenge with that is, and I think this is where that moment in 2004 is, if you're doing that and you don't hold a responsibility for the people that you put into power, you're delusional. Like, and if you don't recognize that by putting them into power, if you don't agree with what they believe, you're enabling something that you don't believe in. So that's, so, where, the mer- so that's where the mercenary that, concept that, right, comes right. Yeah, in. yeah. For, for for me, I was I was willing to go to work for a lot of people, um, and and wasn't putting them through a filter of do I believe they'll do good. Right? Mm-hmm. and and and, and I, I adore a lot of the almost all the people I worked with very few people that I look back and I'm like I'm ashamed of having worked for that person um, but it wasn't from a it wasn't from a place of core belief and I, I you know I really in stepping away from that wanted to use those same skills because I knew how the good like it's gonna sound so arrogant but I knew how good I was at it yeah <laughs> but I wanted it to do for thing do it for things that I could be really proud of you know and now like plugging into you know whether it's ODO, which was the nonprofit I started for creatives in the Midwest, or AIGA, like I'm really proud to like plug in, plug people into a bigger power in that way, and to know that good things are happening, and and it's such a different feeling than. At the end of the day, thinking, yeah, we won, but like, thank goodness I don't need to help this guy govern. Like, right, right. he couldn't govern himself out of a paper bag.
1: So it's more like taking your genius, which is which yeah. I think is present because I've yeah. seen it, and we can call it that. And but using it in in something that you're more aligned with, right? So that yeah. I mean, I think that's hopefully the dream we all have at some level. Well, we do that with clients, right? Like, yeah. they're
0: they're inevitably whether you're working in a design or advertising or marketing space, there's going to be that client where you're like, well, this one pays the bills. But, like, if they all just pay the bills, like, what a hollow place to live. And that was effectively, like, the point I reached, which was, like, I've been doing this. I was mid-20s, and I was like, I've been doing this for 20 years. And I was like, oh, man, unless I'm working for people I passionately believe in. And it's funny because I had one relapse, right? So I'm politically sober, 22-ish years with one, or 12-ish years with one relapse. And in 2008, I took a candidate that I knew couldn't win. But I so deeply believed in him and I like got in the, you know, we shrink wrapped the van with gaudy, awful logo, like yes. graphics and drove around the state of South Dakota and I've never had more fun on a political campaign. It was the last one I did. Um, but I so believe that he would have been good at it. And we, we knew that he wasn't going to win, but it was such a great way to, to wrap things up. And that was, you know, that was 10, 10
1: years ago, last November was that, that campaign. Can you encapsulate like what 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 about this particular candidate did you think would have made him a great? Yeah, because he was an unlikely candidate. He was a he was a guy that wasn't doing it. You know, he
0: had helped build a, a multi million dollar family business. He didn't need to run for office. He didn't need the self validation. He preferred to be home alone with his wife and daughter. Like he didn't need that. He was uncomfortable in the crowds. Um, he. Uh, he had a sense and I think I think you know my values aligned with him in terms of kind of a now extinct uh, version of, of conservative politicians that are fiscally prudent but socially progressive. yeah um, and and I think he just had this sense that that when you are given uh, so many things that you have an obligation to contribute back. and it was it was stunning. and, and to do it in a way that says, no one should get a free pass that, that he knew he probably wasn't going to win it was going to cost him a lot of money and he was going to have to ask friends for even more um, but that no one should get a free pass, that democracy requires competition it requires options and choices and and uh, yeah, you know, there's something stunning about it. it. Like it's the West Wing Hugh romantic side yeah. of politics. No, right? I'm, I'm tomorrow tomorrow if you told me you were gonna run for mayor of Nowersville, Illinois, or wherever it is you, you base your empire, like I'd be like, heck yeah, like let, let's do it. I'll come spend six months knocking on doors and waving signs because It's do love you say that. that? I have an announcement to make.
1: <laughs> this is
0: why we're this finally is, talking this is
1: this is my <laughs> announcement podcast. Um, but but
0: there's something in that that is what we're all looking for, right? We're looking for alignment and purpose, but also we want to make sure that we leave some—not not even legacy—that feels so uh, long-term. But like we want to do something that matters. Like we want to we want to look at our family that? or our community or our career and, and do something that that really matters. And it doesn't have to outlive us, and it doesn't have to be. You know, a building or a, or a plaque on the wall, but to to have
1: had this human experience that uh, you know feels significant is an important thing. Oh man, I can yeah. totally relate to that. I mean, honestly, that's yeah. why. I mean, I hope, as tried as this sounds, uh, that's my hope every day. Yeah. In fact, there's some stories you you started with here about I, you know, the story of Harry Truman. Yeah. Right, and and he had that mythology <laughs> that he was a shoe salesman, and you know, <laughs> it's, you it's, know, joined it's, his it's local. It's, 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 Campaign and then you know he he didn't do didn't do very well and then kind of through these series of happenstances of course we now found out that he had some help from from oh, different sure, uh, business sure. uh, entities um, to get elected. Um, I just love those kind of stories of you know um, what can I do as an everyday quote unquote person to make some sort of impact you know and yeah. you know none of us really all of us don't have to look much farther than our families to be the, that person which I think you know um, sometimes. We don't celebrate that enough. But if you are going to do something, how great is it to, uh, you know, do that with the community and, you know, help give them a voice or something.
0: Yeah. And I I look back like there, there was a window of time right fresh out of it that I was wasn't embarrassed, but I just didn't want it to be who I was. And so I really distanced myself from it. But now I look back, and we had some flooding in our basement here a couple weeks ago. So we were pulling all these boxes out. And I started emptying these boxes. And my my 10-year-old now daughter, Emerson, was like, what is this stuff? And I'm pulling it out. I was like, well, I was deputy director of the presidential inauguration. And she's like, well, what's that? And I was like, well, it's where the president stands up, and and they're sworn in to... faithfully execute the Constitution of the United States. And then they give a big speech about like their vision for the future of this place. And she's like, You got to help do that? And I was like, Yeah, I got to stand there and watch it. Like plan for months and then stand there and watch a president get sworn in. Like it was kind of extraordinary. And so I've reached this point now with ten years of distance that it's like that is a deep part of my story. Not only because it was twenty years of life, but because it's the way I see each of these each of these things that I do now. When I you know, work on a project, I think we've talked about this before but work on a project, uh, when the movie Selma came out, they were fine, Paramount knows how to sell tickets to movies but they had this question of can a movie spark a movement, and so it was the film about Martin Luther King yep. and they wanted to see if it could lead to action in, 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 you know, in the communities, in the streets, and so I spent you know several months between the, the release of the film and the Oscars, engaging like all from Sioux Falls, South Dakota regional hip hop stars uh, local nonprofits. Um, uh, social, digital, in-person, like, doing all that work. It was a political campaign, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you had people going to a movie together and then going and volunteering somewhere. You had people, you know, it was the summer of Ferguson and protests in the streets in New York. You had people that were watching this movie as a call to action, and th- that really it fires at every part of me of this, like, we can do great things when mm. we work together. And it doesn't have to be in a divisive, kind of hyper-partisan, polarizing way. Like, we can do great things. And to be a part of empowering that is, is super thrilling. And now to look back and say, yeah, holy crap, were there some crazy things that happened during, you know, 10 years that, I, that uh, of the, those political leaders? Sure. But some great things happened, and, and some people were mobilized uh, to higher callings and to greater actions that were also important. Um, having said all that, I'm having so much more fun now. I'm just as tired. I'm, you know, uh, about the same weight. Uh, I've got the same lack of hair, but, like, um, I'm having so much more fun. Like, when when I jump into a community and I'm working with them to... Empower their local creative community or when I you know, I mentioned Oda, so I started this nonprofit with the with the belief that if I could find 1500 creatives in South Dakota, North Dakota and Minnesota, which is harder than it sounds. There are only four million people in those three more or less those three states um, That we could transform the region. So we did 35 micro documentaries and we raised two, oh, wow. mil- $2 million dollars to invest back in the designers and filmmakers and storytellers so much fun Um, And and you see the ripples of that action, it's not like the campaign election day happens and then everyone moves on. You see the ripples of that action in in a community or in a region for a sustainable length of time, a much longer duration.
1: Yeah. No. Well, first of all, let's go back to the Salma thing. I didn't know you yeah. did that. That's that's yeah. incredible. That seems very Hugh. It's, to, it, well, it's a, to, to, there was there that. was this great ah. moment. So. It's also hilarious <laughs> that you're in that you're in South Dakota and you're calling, you know, people all over the country. And, yeah. So so little known Hugh facts that are both ridiculous and
0: part fitting. Yeah. Uh, I got to the uh, uh, senior fall of my senior year as an undergraduate, and my mentor pulled me into his office and said, "I don't know how you did this." because I know you wanted to be a poli-sci major. (laughs) And then I took enough econ classes that you were going to be a a public policy major as well. He's like, if you write a little addendum to your thesis, you'll also be a black studies major. (laughs) Because I had taken a lot of civil rights politics and African-American religions and and, uh, jazz history, all this stuff. He's like, I don't know how you did it. His background, he had grown up in the Philly area and was really active in the African-American community as as an academic and as an organizer. And he's like, "So you should do it." So I actually graduated with a black studies, like my diploma says black studies, which has led to many confusing moments over the last <laughs> over the last twenty years. Right. Where yes. I walk in and I, I'm like, "They're like, you're not we, black." I didn't know yeah, there were a yeah, lot of African American yeah. Republicans from South Dakota, yeah, uh, which is to say there are not. That's hilarious. But yeah. but but then the history of the '60s is so tied to mm-hmm. civil rights and to that discussion. So when the agency called about Selma, they said, is this something you'd be interested in? And I literally was able to turn, didn't even get out of my chair, and had a Life magazine from 1964 with Martin Luther King on the cover. I was like, I think I was made for this moment. Wow, <laughs> like, that's so great. I mean, like, it was just the perfect confluence of, 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 uh, of activities. And to be able to, um, again, do something that wasn't about just selling tickets, it was about inspiring people to do bigger things mm. was... It was a dream project. Like I've never worked harder for a client uh, or, or with a team, um, and uh, it, it's something I'm extremely proud of. Uh, and then I was able later to, uh, to do an interview with Ava DuVernay, the director, and bring um, uh, uh, O'Yellow, David O'Yellow, the, the actor that played Martin King, mm-hmm. bring him to Sioux Falls for an event. No way. Today, the sun is shining, and I'm about to stand in its warmth alongside a lot of freedom-loving people who worked hard to get us here. I may not be with them for all the sunny days to come, but as long as there's light ahead for them, it's worth it to me. And so it's like become part of our family folklore too, of like, my wife has a total crush on, on David uh, because he, he is yeah. such a charming, extraordinary man. Um, but yeah, that, that Selma has become it's everything I'd hoped for when I left mm. politics was if, if I could change what it is that I'm doing, but keep these skills and plug them in, what would it look like? And that was, that was uh, an embodiment of
1: that work. That's amazing. Yeah. So I don't know if you knew, do, do you know what um, South by South Lawn was? Uh, I, I've heard of it. I, I, I wasn't part of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're going to try to share some stories here because yeah. I think you'll appreciate this. And I'll share yeah. this with you. I don't think I ever shared this with you. So make a long story short, President Obama went to South by Southwest and I don't know how it ended up happening but he decided to have um, uh, a South by South lawn where actually he would invite change makers, thinkers, doers, activists, you know, filmmakers, artists, all that stuff to the White House and you applied through Twitter. Of course. Which which takes a different meaning these days but back then that was like really sort of novel. Like, oh, that that makes sense. It's a technology conference as well so we'll do this and so I was blown away. I ended up getting invited because of the Wheels for Water and some of awesome. our design for good stuff too. And so I I was just absolutely blown away. I'm excited because I'm a huge presidential history nerd. Yeah. And I love Washington DC. I haven't seen it the way you have. Yeah. Um, but the the information was was kind of spotty, right? So we got emails and you know, I think we went through probably security check or whatever else. And then they putting <laughs> you in the hotel where Dr. Martin Luther King wrote the I have a dream speech, which Crazy. is like, you know, just right around the corner from the White yeah. House. So we get up that morning. I'm, I, I'm thinking the South Lawn. I'm, I'm actually thinking it's that it's that they're not going to put a bunch of Yahoos in the White House. They're going to have us, you know, in the in the land between the Washington Monument and the White House. We're sure. not going to be actually in the White House. Sure. So we end up. I end up going there early. I couldn't sleep, and then they had actors walking around. That was just really cool. But what the best part of it was, in the line, there was so much diversity. Yeah. Of thought, of action. That right there, if that's all that I did, that was so incredible. Then we go through the security, and I was literally sixth in line. I mean, and if you know me, I'm never you early. I'm line. never <laughs> early, so this is phenomenal. So we go through line, and we go through like three or four checks, and all of a sudden we start walking in. Right.
0: To right. the White House. The white house
1: I mean. And I am just, I, I'm, look, I got goosebumps now. Yeah. I, I, a, I was like, man, I must not have read my email really well, which of course also isn't very shocking. But I'm walking in, and I I like was holding back tears. Yeah. It was unbelievable. So I walked through the White House, and, and, and then as you turn different corners, they have musicians and stuff, and so they tell you, typically you can't take pictures in the White House, normally, at, at yeah. in certain areas. They're like, no, blow it up. Right. Like, ha- hashtag South by South Lawn, whatever, going through. Someone tried to go back, and Secret Service stopped them. They didn't tell us, like, once you leave a room, you're not going back. <laughs> right. But I figured out a way to do that, so I started at the beginning again, and then started kind of documenting it, and I just was so... Absolutely blown away, and then yeah. you go out into the actual South Lawn, and we watched uh, Common came and spoke, and, and he talked a lot about right. you know, um, that experience that you were a part of, yeah. but also, um, you know, uh, just the situation we have in, in with with prisons, and and just how that's un, just really out of whack, for lack of better terms. That's, I'm not even giving it its proper justice, but make long story, is one of the greatest moments of my life, and you yeah. talked about seeing your dad. I was actually sitting on a park bench and I was looking over to the right, and there was some secret service there, and, um, or security there, I didn't know there was secret service at the time. And there's this guy, like, you know, complaining about his phone, and I had this, like, supercharger, because so I'm like, I'm not gonna run out of battery if I'm gonna be <laughs> right. in the flipping White House, right? Oh, so I go over, I charge his phone, and we just end up talking. We end up knowing some mutual um, clients, which is random. Right. And then he taps me in the shoulder, and I turn around, here comes President Obama, and he comes and shakes all of our hands, and, um, I go back to this bench, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. Like, I don't, the odds of me ever doing that again are pretty much zero. I mean, I don't know. Right. But going back to when you're with your dad, can you remember that day? And or, do you remember the first time you went into the White House?
0: Yeah, so I do. So, um, uh, again, because I was a weird kid, uh, uh, my... my, um, my parents took me when I was a, a freshman in high school. And I got to say, like, again, we I've I got uh, three siblings, so four kids. Uh, at, at that point, my mom would have been just starting college. She went to college as I went to high school, which is awesome. Um, and so the limits to their resources had to have been extreme. And yet they, you know, the three of us flew to D.C. because they knew how much it meant to me. And I had written letters to most of Congress (laughs) for that trip and included like, because I had had such a back and forth with the Kennedy family, they let me, uh, Senator Kennedy, Edward Kennedy at the time was out of town, but they let me into his private office to take photos at his desk and all this stuff, like crazy stuff. But (laughs) I, writing (laughs) writing these letters as a teenager. Um, but, uh. Uh, one of the senators, and it was probably at the time, it was probably my senator, which is really fascinating given the progression of my career. But Tom Daschle, who was a minority leader at Senate at the time, uh, uh, set up a White House tour, and I literally remember, and it was it was five or six years that I carried, but I, I like grabbed some grass and put it in my wallet from the <laughs> White House. Like it was such a spiritual experience. Who was the president then? Um, at that point, it would have it would have been Bill Clinton at that point. Okay, yeah and here's the thing and uh, uh, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing in terms of democracy but it didn't matter like it didn't matter that it was a president that I you know at the time wouldn't have supported or wouldn't have seen as the right like it was such a although I gotta say my kids uh, we did a big road trip this summer and and so my kids saw the White House for the first time and they did have a visceral reaction because they have a very clear sense of our current president, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. uh, their their first experience was different than my first experience. Yeah. They, they were a little less comfortable with it all, but I, I remember just thinking, like, holy cow, because I had only ever seen it in books. Like, it was my first trip to D.C., and, like, oh, th- in the same wow. way that classmates had grown up loving athletes or movie stars, I'd grown up loving the White House in Washington, D.C., which is strange and wonderful um so like going into those rooms having only seen them in pictures and being like whoa (laughs) like it it was i don't know it it was it was something and it's magical man it was magical and then then i'll say and this was the difference between me and some colleagues and it wasn't all of them because there are so many good people i worked with in political work um but it never stopped being that like you know as a as a as a an appointee in the administration i was able to eat in the you know, White House mess, and 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 uh, and do the Easter egg rolls, and you know, volunteer at different things, and be there for Christmas and all that stuff. And I never stopped being awesome. Like, I never, well, I should say that differently. I never stopped being a 12 year old boy. Like, I never stopped being like, I need to grab some grass and put it in my wallet because Lord knows if I'll ever get to do this
1: again. Okay, um, so be honest. Yeah. It, it, uh, you know, no one in the White House will listen to this. So, what, what, was, what was the next thing you stole from the White House? You <laughs> the grass? No, it's so funny because I still have, like, you know, the, the casual throwaways of,
0: like, here's a box of m MMs. Like, you need some sugar. And, like, the, the last thing I was ever going to do was eat those things. Like there's like so it's like ever anything like like I'm sure there's a White House napkin somewhere in a box in my basement like because someone told me to wipe something on my face and I was like nope Nope. I'm just gonna leave it there there. that's what I have a sleeve (laughs) for that's
1: exactly right Um, I I, I have
0: just some really extraordinary memories of like yeah give me um, give me an example of something like that was either. The 4th of July is kind of the Super Bowl of things because, you know, the, that, uh, President Bush's birthday was a couple days later. So it was his birthday party, the 4th of July, and it was at the White House. Like It was it was something that I really loved, like, the, the, the pageantry of the inauguration was something special because I'd been a part of helping kind of envision it and visualize it. Um, we got to the end, um, so my, my role was a public liaison.
1: Well, hold on was, Too, you had a couple of presents there
0: because his dad was obviously there. Yeah. Right? Right, yeah right. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, and we did Reagan's state funeral and and uh, uh, got to participate. I think Ford's was right around that time, but um, but we publicly, as was responsible for everything that wasn't big donor and wasn't Bush family. So it was kind of like everyone else. And mm. I think we did fifty thousand, maybe it was more than that that we did direct. So it was Supreme Court justices, congressmen. Governors, all this stuff. But we got to the end, and and uh, we still had an abundance of tickets. And so the day of the inauguration, and I don't remember who approved it, so I don't want to either put anyone on the spot or I, I wasn't going rogue. I <laughs> yeah, had approved right, it. Okay. Do but, it. but we literally grabbed handfuls of of the higher value tickets, and went through the the low kind of the the distance because I mean you can be essentially at the Washington Monument with some of those tickets and went through at any serviceman or woman that we saw we were just giving them for you know seated tickets up near the up near the podium it was the greatest experience and i'm not a tiny man nor am i in great shape but we just for the hours before the the inauguration we ran as fast as we could just trying to get as many of those uh, servicemen and women into seats and uh it was awesome because first of all i'm sure i look like some sort of absolute clown shoes like you know crazy man oversized man in a suit handing out tickets but it was like no like you you can't see the president from here you're going to be in the front 50 rows like go up there like you've got this and uh uh it was it was awesome and then to have the inaugural parade my parents were able to join us as a side note my brother who's now a, a reputable pastor Accidentally, he says, "Accidentally, I'll never forgive the kid." He's three years younger than me. He got my VIP parade tickets, so he sat with Don <laughs> Rumsfeld, and I sat in the bleachers for the inaugural parade, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. That's a great brother. It's just to hold a, it over your head yeah, the rest of your life. He came back and he was like, "Where'd you guys sit? We were next to the Secretary of State and Defense." And I was like, "You were in my
1: seats." <laughs> <laughs> but great.
0: it was that whole adventure was like it, it was. It was awesome Uh, because it had such a deep tie to every. You know, like not many kids get to live their fantasies. Like they get some version of them, hopefully. Yeah. But they don't get to like. You know, I was an eight-year-old saying I want to elect presidents and I want to be part of that. And I was at. But she never wanted to be president. Uh, that would, that would be, a to That'd yeah, be a total course, lie That would be a total lie Like if you went to small town Milbank, South Dakota And said you know Hugh Weber, They'd be like yeah he was the kid that was going to be governor or president And like, it'd be a lie for me to say that that wasn't part of it But I'll say that um, There was a moment of recognition in my 20s That I could do everything right uh, And work extremely hard For 40 years And that that's an outcome like, that, That's just so unlikely and that there was so much more I could do if I didn't have that as the North Star of things. Mm-hmm. Like the the life you live, if, if that is your objective, if you are growing up to be a politician or a political leader, is such a different life than if you're just growing up and, and hoping to do well and do good. Um, yeah, no, that's a, we're talking too much politics,
1: but yeah. no, you're, ruining, talking, my you're no, ruining my brand. You're ruining my brand. We're going to come back to it well, because I think it's also part of your... your story that not a lot of people know, but I think it really builds to what you're doing now. But before we go to what you're doing now, just to kind of underline that, of course I have two questions. Of course. Yeah. Did you ever interact positively or negatively or whatever with President Bush? (laughs) So uh, I had a number of, of, of kind of those experiences. This was such a fun moment. I wish you could have seen Hugh. He was squirming because he's always so careful not to offend anyone. And he's so aware of different perspectives and connections. This is what makes him so great. Also, notice he never really answers my question because he is still a great politician.
0: I'm always very careful because I think people whitewash, or they they like things get fuzzy in the way they tell the story. So I'm often correcting people and saying I didn't work in the White House, right? Like, because yeah. my wife even will be like, "Hugh, yeah, he you know back then before we met, he worked in the White House." It's like, no, Amy, I did not. Like, I was there enough, and I, but but I like I want to be clear about where the limits were. Yeah. But, I mean, certainly, he, he, he did things, you know, especially when, uh, during and after the election, when I was actually in the RNC, um, which feels like a confession of, like, I killed small children, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh but uh, uh, he, he, they were, they were very generous with their time, and so it was at events and at those gatherings where, you know, again, like, uh, we pulled out <laughs> Got all these kind of past life things that live in boxes now. And and I was pulling out pictures, and my my six-year-old son, he's looking, and he sees this photo, and there are probably a dozen of us in the photo uh, with the president. And he's like, those stories are true? (laughs) Like,
1: he's like,
0: he's, he's grown up with a dad that, like, is a bit of a... A bit of a jokester and he was like wait you actually did like did spend time with the president (laughs) which is hilarious and awesome and awesome that that i have some of those things to be able to uh you know serve as a touch point for the for the kids to be able to to know that those things are crazy and that also that you can recreate life right like literally i was on a very specific trajectory and for 20 years and that uh, I was able to say, "Hey, this isn't. This isn't. This isn't who I want to be. Like mm-hmm. this isn't fully who I, where I want to go." But I, I often say, based on the experiences I had with him, as, as arms length as they were in that way. Um, that he was a lot like my, he reminded me a lot of my dad, uh, and, and that that's two ways, right? Like I found him endearing, and my dad shouldn't be president of the United States. <laughs> like, and so, fair enough. Fair enough yeah. I mean, like there's there's a, it cuts both ways. Like yeah. I, I genuinely enjoyed him and and uh, and extended members of his family, and and. Uh, you know, the way he treated uh, the people that we were around. But also, uh, like, I see the limits to, to that in terms of leadership and, uh, and what it means in terms of, uh, you know, influence and being influenced. So
1: Awesome. Thank you for that. So um, to get back onto brand for you. Right. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you have all of this experience and you have all this ability in this area. So how would you define your goals now? Or what are you, quote unquote, campaigning for now? Yeah, I, so it's bringing you joy. I, yeah,
0: what brings me joy is exactly the same thing, but with um, primarily with creative uh, individuals, creative professionals. So whether that's designers or filmmakers or or whatever, however they define it. So the way I explain my role now is I call it creative counsel, uh, and creative counsel uh, is often confused for coaching creatives, but I don't have the patience to be a coach. So <laughs> I I, I, uh, I have my own business coach, and often will be you know, we'll meet several weeks in a row and at, at week four she'll go she'll get this look in her eye like, Oh, you've finally figured out the answer. And it infuriates me because I'm like, How long have you known the answer? And she's like, three or four weeks? And it's like, Why didn't you tell me four weeks ago? I'm too impatient to be the guy that will sit and let, you know, Justin Aarons talk for four weeks before he figures out the answer himself. Yeah. But I think of it much more in the way that I think of legal counsel. Like if you have something you want to do and you need to know the the legal parameters or if you have something you need feedback on. You pick up the phone and call legal counsel and they're gonna say, well, here are the things you should consider. Uh, here are the things I see. Here are some of the challenges and opportunities I see. I, I feel like the role I've created is very similar for creatives. So clients look very different. Sometimes they're students that are, that are really starting a job search. Uh, more often, and this is unexpected, mm-hmm. more often it's a, a senior creative that, we do a funny thing to creatives professionally, is that they, they uh, have a certain craft and talent and then they, they work within a certain team. And if they're really, really good at that, we remove them from their craft and make them managers. And we remove them from their team and make them isolated. And so you take someone who has demonstrated incredible proficiency and you take away the two things they've counted on to get there. And they feel very lonely and they feel very isolated in terms of feedback. And so often the, the, the clients that, that sign retainers and stick around for the longest are those that need someone that they can text and say hey can we get on the phone for five minutes i just need to bounce something off you they're at a point in their career where they can't either culturally in their organization or personally emotionally they can't they can't share half-baked ideas they can't get you know they don't know if they're getting honest kind of truth and so in some ways i become a therapist a counselor a friend but mostly just an honest feedback loop to say like yeah this you're on the right track like give this a little bit more space here on the strategic side, or you need this kind of research data points, um, but this isn't the right track, and You should pull in your your your, uh, your designer, and you should pull in your account planner, and, and start thinking about what this means. Um, it's also interesting, so many people are in transitions and feel so much vulnerability around um, the sustainability of their careers and organizations, Then I get a lot of people that are saying like, I've been in this role for 10 years, Um, I'm starting to feel like the the new owners don't necessarily understand the value of what I bring Uh, Can you help me think about what what it would look like even to begin to look for something else or or they're 55 or 60? And they they want one last chapter of their book Mm -hmm. and or maybe they want to write a book right like they want one last chapter and uh, and they just don't know how to even begin that process so I mean, like, I'm spending an awful lot of time, uh, you know, pro tip here. the One of the things I talk most about with designers, LinkedIn. And it's like, people are like, LinkedIn? It's like, designers are so obsessed with Instagram, which is mostly a exercise of... Sp- circle validation right uh, and uh, and uh, and LinkedIn is where they're gonna find their job or find their client or find whatever and so I spent a lot of time saying like let's let's work on this this yeah. is a this is a clear takeaway that we can do today that's gonna give you a sense of progress and and, and whatever else and it's like you've just given them the keys to the kingdom like oh LinkedIn like, that's <laughs> that's what will solve my problem but the critic Council role has been awesome so it's both passive and really uh, active in that I have a mm. uh, it's all automated. God bless the technology. It's all automated. So I could get a text message today saying, "You know, on Thursday you're going to talk to this person, and here's the Zoom link, and and uh, and here's what he'd like to talk, he or she'd like to talk about." And then I have others that are on retainer, so I'm more or less a more or less a senior advisor to a creative candidate, right? Mm. That that is a that, a that, that to wants to that. tap into me, and they pay a retainer that allows them literally to call or text any hour of the day. Um, I don't sleep a lot, so that usually works. Uh, <laughs> um, but it means that I, I sit in on some client calls. A lot of the times I'm completely behind the scenes or off the radar, so no one knows that I'm an active part of the team, uh, which is fine. I'm okay with that. Um, and it is, it is awesome to see creatives thrive. And, and in the same way that when you finally get a candidate, comfortable with their stump speech and they step off the stage and they're like that felt good it's like yeah it did because we've been working for weeks on it. <laughs> like because i've been you know like slowly yeah. tweaking and twisting to get it so that it's your language and your way when a creative kind of has that moment of like hanging up from a meeting and they immediately call you and they're like that went so well and it's like it's not an accident that it went well we worked really hard to make that go well <laughs> um, i love i love that role and and you know, for me, I need that constant cycle of, of the political cycle or the campaign cycle. I, I'm not good at, uh, I'm really good, good at losing weight and really bad at keeping it off because I like the novelty of a, of a, of a goal. Um, and I struggle with that kind of like 10-year sustainability is not, is not where my personality works well. I was never like a governing uh, policy guy. I was a, I was a political campaigner. And I think that that in this uh, space of, of creative professionals uh, works better than I ever expected it to. Um, but I love it. Uh, like there's something so thrilling. Uh, to avoid name dropping at all costs, there's something so thrilling to have people that are crafting and designing the culture my kids will will live in. That give me that call me on the phone to ask for insight and feedback. Like it is it is as intoxicating as political work. I mean, you can use my name. I mean, people like (laughs) Justin (laughs) Aaron sending me inappropriate texts to get my opinion. But, but, but it is, it is the same. I mean, like, Hey, listen, I I am a broken human being. Like so many of us are, it is fulfilling the same personal need that I had that was fulfilled by politics. It's just, I feel so much better about what I'm offering the world. Mm. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a great place to be right now. Awesome. And it feels like something like, listen, I spend most of my time in a you know, basement level office in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Like, In what universe, <laughs> uh, you know, in 1996 as a high school graduate, in what universe was I going to be able to be a part of uh, the big kids table globally from South Dakota? And now, like technology and, and modern realities, allow me to completely do that work from
1: from a place where I, like, listen. Well, hold well, on. Let's don't leave out talent. I know you're trying <laughs> well, to be humble here, but well, he, I mean, I feel really privileged to be on this board with you, and I'm yeah. very excited to, to count you as a friend. At least I count you as a friend. Yeah, I have well, no idea. I mean, we'll, you we'll figure that yeah, out. After maybe we, we should be LinkedIn <laughs> buddies first, and then we'll we'll figure it out. Um, but don't don't yeah. don't undermine that. I think that. Um, the reason why you were sitting on the White House lawn with your dad yeah. is because uh, you're talented at um, the connecting, the, the seeing strategy, to the, the be able to find your way. I think that's a genius of yours. There,
0: there, there's something in that that I, that I think is so... Um, and it took a long time to realize that others just don't see the world in that same way. But it's the like, I, I, you know, some people see the world in, in sound or space or visuals, you know, designers. I see the world in dots and lines. Like, I'm like, I can see, you know, like, and it sounds crazy to see this. It's a little beautiful mind esque, you know, like a, <laughs> one of those FBI walls when yeah. you walk in and find the serial killer. But like, um, I can see, when I see you, I see you and I see you fully and I hear the stories you've told me and I know your background, I know your heart and, and, and how you bring it to your work. But I also see the lines that extend to you, to other incredibly gifted or extraordinary people. Like I can't see you without seeing Genosaki, uh, Visaki Grady. Grady. That's right. You're I'm like, gonna I, leave this in here so she gets pissed, and so you don't even know how to say her name. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. I can't see you without seeing those lines. You know, even to your family now, having met them. And it, it is the secret sauce of, of my work, is that the ability to deal with that juxtaposition of depth with, with an individual, but also expansiveness with resources and ideas and places and people that extend from them. Uh, because I, and I, and it took a long time, I was in my 30s before I realized that not everyone kind of experienced the world in way. Mm. Um, way. And it allows me to say, okay, like this thing that I'm talking to Justin about is important. But I also know that like, it has implications based on the, the, the network in which he, he exists and lives. And so if we're gonna accomplish something, I can't do it independent of those other things. I mean, we are so much influenced by the people that, that, that are closest to us and that are part of our system, that unless you're willing to treat it collectively, you're, you're not gonna maximize the possibility there.
1: Thank you to my humble and hardworking friend, Hugh Weber. Hugh, your ability to truly see those around you and being energized by the hopes of possibilities is truly what makes you great. For more on Hugh, go to his website, hughweber.com. H-U-G-H-W-E-B-E-R.com. I would also like to thank Sleeping At Last for being the soundtrack to our show. For more on Ryan and his music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music from. To design ofs audio engineer, Steve Wick, who loved this episode, just so he could go back and find his favorite W clip.
0: Americans don't need to worry. I'm in excellent health, making the tough decisions 24-7. That's 24 hours a week. (laughs) Seven months a year.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from tell others about our show and stay tuned for the next episode. Please follow us on Twitter at Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash designofpodcast. See you next episode.